A good haircut can be a game changer. I mean, everybody wants to look their best for those social media pics, right? So get yourself to Sport Clips at Sport Clips Haircuts. They hair do like no one else hair does. See what they did there? Not only is it the home of champion haircuts, but they've also made relaxing and unwinding the name of the game. Level up your haircut with the MVP haircut experience. It's a spa day for your follicles. Check this out. You get a seven pressure point massaging shampoo along with a perfectly steamed hot towel all while sports plays on the TV. Does it get any better than that? No. You can want it all and have it all at Sport Clips. It's a game changer. I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source in Pro Power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll and home of the prestigious Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. I uh, hope everybody's doing good there. Hey, listen, my wife blocked me on Twitter because of my, uh, my bird puns. Well, I said two can play at that game. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's fun. It's cute. Duff delivers the goods every Friday uh, and even on Christmas Thanks, Duff, for the last. They just finished up their uh, extensive Australian, uh, Japanese, Brazilian tour, and they are deserving and enjoying some time off at home, as are we, which is perfect to sit down and watch Dangerous Breed, Crimes, Cons, and Cats. I've got Frederick Croach here today, the filmmaker behind the new documentary that's streaming on Peacock. It's a three-part documentary series that takes a look at the life of Teddy Hart. Uh, Bret Hart's nephew, of course, acclaimed, famed member of the Hart family in Calgary. Frederick filmed Teddy for years and was planning to make a reality TV series about Teddy's crazy life as a wrestler and a cat breeder. And then Teddy got into some legal trouble and the initial project was scrapped, but Frederick kept filming. Then Teddy's protege and ex-girlfriend, Samantha Fiddler, vanished in 2016. Florida law enforcement are still looking for her, and that's when Frederick realized maybe these years of footage that he filmed especially when he had captured of Teddy and Samantha's story could maybe be put to positive use by potentially helping to discover what happened to Sam Fiddler. Frederick explains how he first met Teddy and what inspired him to start following Teddy and filming him, shares some stories from all those years with Hart, sheds a little light on Teddy's relationship with Samantha Fiddler. He talks about working with Peacock to get this documentary series made and what he hopes it does for Samantha and her family. But before we get to Frederick, a great idea for a last-minute gift for anyone on your list to book them a cabin for Chris Jericho's Rockin' Wrestling Rager at Sea, the Four Leaf Clover. We set sail for February 2nd from Miami to Great Stirrup K. And the lineup on this ship is stacked. It seems like uh, three-quarters of the AEW roster is coming with us. The acclaimed Gun Club, Jade Cargill, whole entire Jericho Appreciation Society, Swerve Strickland, Wardlow, the Lucha Brothers, Mark Henry's our guest of honor, and the big main event of Jericho Housing versus the Guns. That's right, Chris Jericho and Dan Housing teaming for the first and maybe only time you're going to get to see that live on the cruise. And you're also going to get to see the inaugural crowning of the Jericho Cruise Oceanic Championship. And wait till you guys see the championship belt. It's going to be amazing. We've got comedy. We've got music. We've got live podcasts on the ship. Dave Schrader and his paranormal activities. Fozzie's playing three shows. Quarantine, Quiet Riot, Raven, Royal Bliss. I'm doing Talk is Jericho Live. We're going to our own private island for the first time ever. Great Stirrup K. So book a cabin now at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Don't you dare miss the vacation of a lifetime. All right, let's do it. Dangerous breed, crimes, cons, cats, the tale of Teddy Hart right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. So one of the um, 
most intriguing docu-series that I've seen for a while uh, that I really knew nothing about is Dangerous Breed. Uh, crime, except crime? Crime, cons, and cons cats. Cons and cats. Crimes, cons, and cats. And uh, Frederick Croach. Frederick Croach. Is here. Uh, of course, this is about Teddy Hart, which if you are in wrestling, you know the legends of Teddy Hart. Everyone's got Teddy Hart stories. Uh, Teddy Hart has been on Talk is Jericho. And just to, to paint a quick picture for those of you who haven't heard it for Frederick, for, for you, I went to Teddy's house in Orlando, the one where you filmed at, and I basically pressed record like we did right now, and I said, Teddy Hart, 97 minutes later, I literally just had to press stop. I was like, dude, you, I, got, I got to go. And, you know, Teddy talks and talks and talks and talks. So he's a very intriguing character. Um, and we'll get into kind of the, the weeds of the show. But how did you ever get connected with Teddy Hart and decide that you want to put together a documentary about this guy? Uh, like over 10 years ago, I was a journalist in Alberta. And I wound up doing like a journalism story on a local promotion called the Prairie Wrestling Alliance. And I think it was Chucky Blaze and Wrestler M. I, anyway, I, was, I had never really met wrestlers before, and I was filming. You're not a, you're not a wrestling fan. I just, I didn't grow up right, knowing right, wrestling. Right. And, you know, it turns out all of my friends know wrestling, and it's just one of those things that just bypassed me, I yeah, guess. Yeah. And I was, like, seeing these wrestlers on the stage doing these crazy, I didn't realize it was so acrobatic. I had no idea. And then I would go to, like, film their, their lives, their day jobs. And I remember... Chucky was like working at Radio Shack and I'd see him work and talk to customers and I'd see him in the ring. And to me, I was like, there is something really, really dynamic mm -hmm. about wrestling that from a documentary point of view, I want to, I want to get more into this. Next thing I know, we got a grant to make a short film about uh, wrestling in Alberta and we wound up following a number of, of wrestlers and everybody was so damn nice. I think that there's sometimes I'd always assumed wrestlers are, you know, I'd watched the movie, the wrestler and I always assumed Wrestlers maybe were kind of rough and rugged and all this. They were all just super, like the nicest people I ever met. Mm -hmm. And then I was thinking maybe we should, there's some TV show here, but I need to find a wrestler that maybe is not so nice. Maybe just somebody that just sort of brings something new. And of course, somebody's like, you got to meet this guy, Teddy Hart. I'm like, what? <laughs> Who's this guy? Mm -hmm. And yeah, and then I heard some colorful stories about they had a match at the PWA and I think Teddy brought a cat and a knife on the stage and it was part of a shtick. But I was like, that's interesting. And so eventually went to his mansion in, in Shored Park here near Edmonton. And that's where it all began. I just looked around. I opened the door. As you've seen the film, I opened the door. I look in and I'm like, where is this? Where am I? This is really weird. I think I got a TV show here. It's so funny, too, because it's a classic Teddy Hart word. And we're using the word like mansion. You know, I've seen mansions before. <laughs> like, it's more of a, of a house. But Teddy calls it a mansion. That's, Ted, that's a Teddy Hart for you. It was it to be fair. It was a pretty big house, big house near right. a golf course, and it was one of those sort of open concept houses with some catwalks. Mm. And there was like a full gym in there, and you know had a ring in the backyard. And t to me, it was a mansion, maybe a little bit more run down. It didn't smell great, but there was you know a lot of people there. It looked like a wrestling school uh, to me. To me, it was like a really great. So, so now, once again, so you're starting to get to know Teddy Hart, and and. We're starting to think now, like even is there, is the red flags coming up as as to why does Teddy Hart have a mansion? Um, at this point, not at first. Okay. No, uh, you're just thinking he's a big time wrestler. He's got big money, or ab yeah. absolutely, and he's he's got this Hart name that I sort of learn is this incredible wrestling dynasty in Alberta, and there's all these people there that appear to be you know at his wrestling school, and everybody's saying great things about Teddy. Mm -hmm. Everybody, you know, mm -hmm. it's just like he's a wild man. He's interesting, but great teacher, great this. So so no, I didn't know, and I was. I guess I just sort of buckled up and went for a ride, mm. you know, and it wasn't until much later I started realizing, wait, maybe, maybe everything isn't fully adding up to mm -hmm. what I'm being told. So what was your initial first impressions of Teddy and how did you kind of um, uh, talk to him about doing a, a, a documentary or filming him? Yeah. So at, at the beginning, when I had this idea for a reality show, it was sort of based around the idea of redemption. And Teddy was like, you know, very, I guess, honest about this. You know, I, I screwed up a lot of things in my life for my big mouth, you know, and he's like, I want to redeem this. I want, you know, the Hart family to redeem me. I want to go back to WWE. I want to get my career back in shape and I'm going to, I'm working out hard and I'm trying to do this. And I was like, that, what an interesting story angle to follow like this redemption. Who doesn't like a redemption story? 
And that's sort of where it started. My, my first impressions of him, I was dumbfounded. Like you said about his ability to talk without stopping to breathe. Like, I think the first time I talked to him, he talked to me for like an hour and I was just kind of <laughs> half hypnotized, half stunned. Like, you are pure television. This is interesting. And so he was just like, come, I'll show you anything. I'll, I'll do whatever. And I was like, okay, let's, let's see what you got. Let's mm. find the story. So because just a little background for people that might not know is so Teddy obviously is Bret Hart's nephew, uh, the son of Georgia Hart and BJ Annis, one of the, the Hart daughters and very talented, very charismatic. And also, like you mentioned, uh, Big Mouth, very maybe immature. He signed to WWE when he was 19 and was fired very shortly after. And there's now a rule, which I don't know if you know, is that well, the, the, they don't sign anybody under 21. That might have changed over time, but Teddy at the time was like, we're not signing any more teenagers because this guy's off his rocker. So when you say redemption, uh, like you mentioned, now he's trying to get back in the good graces and because and, he's very talented and very dynamic and very unique with his move set. Like he really did have or does have all the pieces of the puzzle, except for he's missing a few pieces in the brain puzzle, shall we say. So when you start filming, do you have any direction or are you just kind of filming generally and, th and thinking like, I'll find a story thread in here somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was just sort of filming stuff at his house and trying to figure out what the story was, knowing that I, I think there should be some sort of redemption angle in there. Right. And, you know, spent a lot of time putting to get writing down what the story could be. And, you know, we, we mapped out a full you know season of stuff that uh, I don't remember all the details, but, you know, we, we, we just really mapped out a full story that we hoped we could film. And that's, you know, that was the whole thing behind it. What year I was that? 2012, 2013. Okay, so you're talking almost 10 years ago you've been working with this. Yeah, absolutely. I've forgotten more about Teddy Hart yeah, than most yeah, people yeah, will exactly. ever learn. Yeah. Right. So where did the first kind of story thread start? Because obviously in Dangerous Breed, it's, it's three parts, and you do kind of start with what we're talking about, but is the first time something kind of comes up interesting is when he has the two uh, girlfriend, the, the wife and the girlfriend, or the two girlfriends, or... or you know, that was just one small element. There, there was... I filmed like four terabytes of footage on old cameras that didn't, you know, take up a lot of megabytes, a lot of footage. And he was constantly doing things. I followed him to various wrestling shows, saw some of the drama through that, all, all sorts of things that, that again, were, are not, you know, publicly available, mm. but I, I had all sorts of things. It wasn't just that, that angle of his unique lifestyle and relationships. There was a lot more to it. Gotcha. And he was very, very into marijuana culture. Right. And that was a big deal in Canada of talking about legalization and all these things. So he was a big promoter of that. So that was kind of an interesting story angle. Mm -hmm. um, lots, of, lots of different stuff going on. Because you mentioned you had uh, a few ideas for pilots and sizzle reels and, and no one was really all that interested at yeah. first. Yeah. So, I, you know, we, I put together a bunch of material. I, I talked to broadcasters. I tried to create this, you know, Teddy Hart show. And a lot of people would say, <clears throat> the only problem with your show, it's whack, it's crazy, it's got all these elements, but we don't feel that the main character is redeemable. Hmm. And I, I, I confronted that quite a bit. And I guess that one sentence tells a lot about hmm. the next 10 years of, of this journey. It's almost like the main character is, is too unlikable to, to focus on in a way. I guess you could say that just the bottom line is it was yeah. just like they want a, a character that they know is going to be redeemed or it's something. Side, and, yeah. and in this situation, maybe a lot of broadcasters didn't feel confidence in that. But then you were offered a, a decent chunk of change to, to, to sell the show. Yeah. At, at one point in time, we did find a broadcaster who's interested in giving us a bit of money to, to put together a pilot. Mm. And that was pretty exciting. And then like five or six days before, uh, I was going to sign the contract. Uh, somebody sends me uh, the cover of the, I think the Calgary sun. And that's when everything changed. That was suddenly what, like what, what? And that was kind of a crazy slap in the face. Cause you're just paying for all this mentioned on your mom's credit card and she's giving you the money and like, you don't have any cash for this. That's, that's correct. It was uh yeah, you know, uh, the amount of time I put in like filming things and editing things, the, the amount of days is, incomprehensible mm. to, to me. So, so yeah, what a, what a crazy moment when I, when I saw that and it's just like, wait, this, this can't be real. What's going on. And what did you see? What was on the, what was the headline? I, I don't remember the exact, I think we have a copy of the headline in the actual yeah. production, but it was, it was basically stipulating that uh, he was being charged with, uh, I think assault, sexual assault and illegal confinement. Mm -hmm. And 
I just never in my life thought I'd be working on something with that level of stuff. I was just kind of taken aback. Is that when he was went on the run to Texas? Is that the time? Yeah, I mean, he was already in Texas. Oh, I, see, uh, I, yeah. I guess and he was there, and I guess he stayed there, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, yeah, so he was there, and, and the, the sort of mansion, I guess, was sitting empty at that point in time. Had you already been talking with Faye and Michelle, his the two women in his life at this point in time? Yeah, I'd been talking to them since the beginning. Gotcha, so they were always involved. Yeah. Yeah, Michelle came in later. Gotcha. Uh, but, but yeah, I'd, I'd always been talking to them, and it was always in the context of the reality show, you know? Mm. And then after those allegations were published, I, I got a very different story. Hmm. Yeah. Did you feel like when in watching the, the, the series, like obviously there's a lot of manipulation going on from Teddy, but he's also putting on a show for you. Like I'm thinking about the time when he has both the girls uh, go to, they go into a hot tub or something along those lines. And, and you may make some kind of a comment. He says, well, as long as it ends up with a network program, it's worth it. Like, what was kind of the vibe on that? Were the girls kind of, like, I'm feeling almost some, some cult leader type things here. Sure. Far be it for me to, to comment on things like cult leader and stuff. But Teddy definitely was surrounded by a lot of people who really looked up to him. Yeah. And, and he certainly, you know, appeared to exhibit a certain amount of, I don't know if the word control is right, but but, you know, he certainly was able to, to influence do, there was a lot of influence happening there mm-hmm. for sure and yeah I, I remember yeah him sitting in the hot tub and talking about it being <laughs> let's get the network stuff like that and 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 then at one point in time in there i think he's even i remember i really like this shot because i think i framed him in a mirror mm-hmm. and then there's the girl in the background he's in the mirror and he's talking about how like he doesn't know where teddy hart begins and ends mm-hmm. and like that was really important to me because that's i was just like wait this is interesting like who who does he think he is right who is he right and that's when I started, you know, sort of thinking about this idea of kayfabe and what what happens when, when kayfabe goes too far, and mm-hmm. and then where does Teddy Hart begin and when does Edward Annis, mm-hmm. you know, end? Mm-hmm. And I don't have an answer to that. I, I never found an answer. You know, I, I've been through that before in my own career, probably ten years ago, for for people that know my career, which is probably most people listening. When I had the suit and tie, I was wearing a suit and tie. It was very subtle. It was kind of a combination of uh, Heath Ledger, Joker, and Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men. And people legit hated me. I was getting attacked on the street. Um, and at that point in time, it was hard to figure out where Chris Irvin ended and Chris Jericho began and vice versa. Because I was really dropped in. I'd done some some acting work and I really had dropped into this character. And you start to lose a little bit of who you are. And if you don't pull yourself back... Like you mentioned with Teddy, you might not know where the end begins and the begin beginning ends. You know, and that, I think that's one of Teddy's maybe biggest issues. You can certainly see in the footage that uh, quite often he is uh, just a, a a consummate marijuana professional, and I think with you just a lot of blunts that can help blunt the ability to see gotcha. that. And so you you add in these things, and then always surrounded by you know yes men or yes people maybe you do lose perspective mm. on it, you know? And I, it certainly seemed like that at times, that I just wasn't sure. Like, wait, are you the wrestler right now? Or are you, Edward, wait, who yeah, are you? And I, I never really knew. All right, so you guys know a couple of years ago, I gave my dad a skylight frame. It was during the COVID lockdown when we couldn't travel to see him in Canada. He couldn't come to Florida, so we did the next best thing at the time. We sent our life to him in pictures on the skylight frame. It's still one of his favorite gifts. With the skylight frame, you can upload pictures instantly from anywhere. So that's what we're doing, emailing pics directly to my dad's skylight frame. They pop up immediately. He can tap a thank you right back in real time. We gave him the 15-inch skylight digital frame. It was really easy to set up. He just plugged it in, touched the screen to connect to his wireless network, and then sat back and watched our pictures roll in. My kids sent pictures of everything, when they were eating for dinner, the movies they were watching, pictures of the dogs, and then when all the COVID restrictions eased up, we, uh, we all started sending pictures from our, all of our activities. We still send him pictures that way now. It's like his own private social media that's updated by the whole family all the time. Skylight Frame really makes a great gift. And right now, as a special offer, you can get $15 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com and enter my promo code Jericho. That's skylightframe.com and enter code Jericho to get 15 bucks off your purchase. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T 
F-R-A-M-E.com and use my promo code Jericho. We haven't talked about about the cat. Quickly take a quick segue into the cat. So he is breeding Persian cats. Sorry, Persian cats. And just so you know the background, so his grandfather is Stu Hart, who is one of the great all-time wrestling promoters and obviously the the patriarch of, of the Hart family. So in the Hart house, which was another mansion on the hill in Calgary, there was notorious stories of, of cats everywhere to where cats would be roaming in the kitchen and Stu would be making scrambled eggs and take the spatula with the scrambled eggs and then pick up the cat poop with the spatula and throw in the... like. And I don't know where... The, but I know the times I was in, there were cats everywhere. So this is something that kind of uh, was instilled into Teddy from his grandfather. What was it like having so many cats in the house? You mentioned that the, the mansion kind of smelled. Was it Was it kind of a dirty area or were these things just running all over the place and... What exactly was he breeding them for? The cats were a big part of his life. Uh, He was always talking about the history of cats and the Hart family. He was always talking about that. The the story about the egg scoopers, very controversial one. Yeah, they they don't know if it's true or if it's real. They say it's urban legend. Uh, (laughs) Definitely heard that story a few different ways. (laughs) But they were, they. I think like to him, they were more than just his shtick. Like he definitely always brought cats to the ring. Yeah, they were part of his. Crazy performance. I mean, cat juggling. What? Like what? Cat juggling. Also, he would put a cat. Maybe even Mister Money is the one cat I remember. He yeah. would put this cat on the top turnbuckle. Yes, and the cat would just stay there during the whole match. Yeah, which is incredible. It, it, yeah, he he claimed to be a professional cat trainer, and when I first sort of saw what he was doing, the cat like the cats did not seem upset. They seemed happy, super chill. Yeah. So I was like, wow. This and he had names for all the moves. He had the phantom chair and that all upside down thing. All the all these different moves. And I was like, this is wild. Like I've never heard of this before. And he's literally juggling cats. Yeah. He would throw a cat up in the air. It would spin and it would land in his yep. hand. Yeah. And but but more than that, it was also I guess his side hustle. And he was definitely always engaged in selling high end, genetically pure Persian show cats. And and that was just a constant thing that was that was happening. A lot of stories of people, like even in this community, that I've heard. Hey, this guy approached me in a parking lot and he pulled kittens out of a bag and or no, not a bag, but like his fanny pack. He sometimes had kittens in it, and you know. So that was definitely part of his his thing, part of his income, I guess, generation, and also just part of his overall wacky persona. Absolutely, yeah. See, once again, he plays it all straight. Like this is real. Like Mr. Money, this is the, all real. None of this was a yeah. This is not know. a joke, and it's not funny. It's like Mr. Money is my you know tag team partner, and he's going to stay in this you know turbuckle. I uh, I grew up with cats, you know. I always had a love of cats, but unfortunately, while filming at, at his place, I developed a bad allergy to cats. Oh, yeah. so it kind of was rough on me later on because I guess sometimes later in life you can develop an allergy if you're around a lot of allergies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the house got to me, man. You know what's interesting too about the documentary that I liked um, made it very unique was most documentaries like, and we'll talk about this later. You know, the Tiger King, like the the, the uh, Dangerous Breed, is the Tiger King for the generation. You don't see the, the filmmaker really much. You are a character in this documentary series because you kind of like are a sympathetic figure because you are watching through the eyes of the audience. And it, it really is kind of a interesting perspective because you don't know what the f- is going on either. You know? Yeah, I guess, I guess uh, that was one of the unique parts of the story was just like that sort of having that point of view. And when we were sort of putting this, this new project uh, about like Samantha Fiddler being missing and, and this, this new, I, I wasn't even sure like I would have, be in it at all you know and it just sort of eventually or through the different teams we were working with just sort of emerged like wait this is what a unique point of view and as a filmmaker i think that's kind of interesting yeah. to see that side of it yeah yeah so in that way it's definitely different than than tiger king i think oh absolutely in mean, most documents i was just using that as an example but let's start talking about uh how the plot kind of thickens here so when you when, when teddy has these these allegations from from faye and michelle do you interview them first or did you go to Dallas first where, where Teddy's now living with Machiko, another female wrestler? And because now they're saying he's like the worst person ever. That's one of the quotes. He's the worst guy in the world sort of thing. Yeah, that was, that was one heck of an eye opening interview. That was, I it was, I was just dumbfounded. And again, you see this in the, yeah. in the series and, and it's just like, it's wait, they pull away the veil of, of what was going on. Absolutely. And then, you know, I knew when I saw that newspaper article, like our show was over, that like everything had changed. The question is, what do you do now? Yeah. And 
I just, I'm a storyteller, you know, and I just, I'd already invested a lot of time into this. Maybe I had insights to it because mm-hmm. I spent so much time and I just wanted to keep asking questions and see what was, mm-hmm. where was the truth? What just was keep going keep filming. On. And, and again, every, everybody seemed happy for me to do that. So what a weird situation to be in. Yeah. Well, once again, though, to me, you, you say that the, the show is over, but in a lot of ways, the show is also just beginning because now you have something really different from what you were first planning it, on filming in my head you know it had changed from trying to be some sort of reality show it had changed into maybe a documentary about a, a person with all these allegations it, mm. it really changed in my head it became something completely different and it no it no longer felt to me like it was a series i was thinking maybe i'll make a just a, a documentary documenting what had happened here right and i didn't even know what it was at this point in time i just wanted to ask questions and see what was happening i had no idea like I wasn't sure it'd ever get finished, but right. I felt I had to do something. So what were your impressions of Teddy when you go to Dallas, or, or I think it's Dallas, to Texas, and now he's once again, this guy lands on his feet constantly? I was just shocked. I don't, I don't understand. He's like, he, he's got these charges. He left his mansion and his you know, relationships back in Canada, and I show up not that much later, and he's got a new mansion with a car and a new girlfriend, and, and, and they're planning to build a, you know, like, cat house like a an outdoor cat cattery I, I don't know i'm just like i don't understand like where did how does you, he keep doing this I, do, I don't know and he he definitely has a skill set for for that sort of thing and she doesn't believe the allegations are true and but like you said and that, that was her was that her house that he moved into no it well, wasn't okay so they just got a new place and a new girl yeah, yeah 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 so what was it like then are you seeing kind of some of the similarities because there's a really I don't know if riveting is the word, but very important scene at the uh, at the Benihana Japanese restaurant. Yeah, I mean, when I when I saw that footage, I uh, was like, you know, clearly this maybe isn't the best relationship here. You know what I mean? But I helped get him on a plane, fly him to Canada, where he got arrested. We know he was going to be arrested. Right. He knew it was going to happen. So in my mind, that was sort of maybe maybe the end. Maybe that was my story arc, you know, and there you yeah. go. And he's going to face, you know, whatever sort of legal ramifications for his activities. And that's, I don't know, that's what I thought. How were you able to convince him to get on the plane? Did he know like he had to do it, obviously? or Because he's letting you film him. So it's not like yeah, he's, he, he's he a knew. fugitive or something. He knew. He, you know, he, he wanted to clear his name and, and get back on the redemption story, story train. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to, to like finally do something good you know for everybody and i thought that this was the one thing i could do is just get him there and let the canadian legal system deal with it but once again nothing really happened to him no what a ride man what a <laughs> what a ride uh i mean again in the footage you see him juggling a cat in front of the courthouse and a lot of <laughs> crazy stuff but just but, but just the pure confidence of teddy too to like the it's very impressive in a lot of ways, how he just always just floats around through everything and gets gets away. Because I think with those allegations he did, there's no jail time served, or was there any sentence? No, no, I think nothing, it was, right? Uh, no, I think it was like a pre-trial hearing, and it was it was tossed out. So yeah, he's back to back to business, I guess. So and you're still filming all of this because you mentioned that you thought the story was over. Yeah, and again, I just I just kind of kept filming, and I was like. Wow, I thought this was the end of maybe a story, but it's it's not. So I'll just I'll just keep filming and see where it goes. All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos, eh, amigas. See, already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. 
So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. So then how did Sam Fiddler come in? Uh, as you as you see in the series, at one point in time, Teddy calls me up and says, "Hey man, I got a new girlfriend," and 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 this was interesting because he was really talking about how I've really settled down. You know, I feel like life yeah. has really changed, and I'm becoming a a good a good man now. And and he was like, "Do you want to meet her?" And I'm like, "Of course, sure, okay, let's what." And you know they came to my office, and that's where uh, my my neighbor Omar, who wound up writing the Rolling Stone article, right. I think in 2016, he came along with me, and and chatted with them, and and Sam showed up with her three kids, and yeah, you can see the footage. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, I yeah, chatted yeah. with them, asked some questions, and was just kind of wow, wow, okay, this is what's going on. And and Sam, they they spoke very, is the word lovingly? I don't know. They they mm. seemed quite smitten with each other yeah. and happy, and that was. That was something I hadn't really seen before, right? And so I was like, "Wait, has something changed?" I, it, it, it's hard. I'm very conflicted at this because I do know what you know. Faye and Michelle had said, and so this whole thing was was kind of awkward for me. Mm. But it's not my place to. I what could I do? So right, I, just, right. I just, I just, you know, as a filmmaker, I just keep filming and asking questions. You know the allegations that Faye and Michelle had said about about abuse. Obviously, the the Japanese restaurant scene where he's Teddy's basically threatening Machiko, his girlfriend at the time. Um, but he says that I've never been, I've never had this a connection with a female like I have with Sam. And you made a really great point too, which is once again kind of the Svengali aspect of Teddy in that him having a girlfriend with three little kids made him look better to the outside world. Yeah, and. You know, again, in retrospect, and and that you know that's something I, that Omar sort of told me about is like I think that this this he's using this as as a bit of a look avail, right? Uh, you know, and it was working, I guess. You know, he certainly looked had a more wholesome look. Yeah. Damn, as as a new father with it with a two year old and thinking about Sam's kids not having a mom and never really knowing what yeah. even happened to her. I don't know. Makes my it's terrible. Makes me feel. Uh, I just hope at the end of the day. Somebody watches this, and it brings up a, a detail that that the police could use. And kind of like even during the filming and on the show, I have a sense of almost feeling helpless. Like you wish you could have do more. Or and there's also sometimes when you're like, was I enabling this? Yeah, that was something that I thought there was a real conflict there for you as a filmmaker. Yeah, that that's a part of this whole story that intrigues me. I never really thought I'd be the one telling a story like that, but but I, I'm always interested in stories where you you hear the, the conflicted side of the you know the journalist or the filmmaker and what they're doing, and I tried to be honest about this and impartial about everything. I I tried to. Did me pointing a camera at Teddy and Samantha did that help legitimize him as a TV star right, as something? Right, right, right. And on some level, it probably add, helped add to 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 the teddy heart mystique so you know i gotta wonder should should i've even done that in the first place i don't know all i know is i was doing what i could which was point to camera things ask questions and follow the story and here right. here we are years later it's interesting yeah it's because you don't usually see that either as, as, as in a documentary yeah i don't yeah. have an answer i don't yeah. i don't know how i feel about it i still don't but you know what's done is done, and no. I tried to tell the story. But you say that even in the series, like you don't I do, have yeah, yeah. I thought that was like I said, you, you come across as a very sympathetic character in this, and also kind of caught up in this whirlwind tornado where you're just trying to hang on and do the best you can. But like, don't think you really expected to go that far when you first started in 2012. The the like the crazy moment for me was there's that sort of interview with me where I'm at an editing desk and I'm looking at the footage. Look at yourself. Yeah, and like, and I actually filmed myself. I think in 2015, and like, I forgot that footage existed. The editors brought it up and asked me what I thought, like watching it, and I was like, "Whoa, here's me filming myself 
here you are filming me looking at myself filming myself. Yeah. This is the most meta thing. And I say, I don't feel good about filming this guy, but I got a feeling somebody might wind up dead and I've got to keep telling the story because somebody has to be there to tell it. And like, oh. like looking at my young, much skinnier self saying that, <laughs> I'm just like, whoa, that is, to have that footage is, yeah. so I, I get why they wanted my point of view in this because stuff like that existed. Mm. And that's very rare. And when I saw that, I was like, okay, that's something unique. And it gave me, chilled me, man. So let's talk about Sam because she, uh, when you see her on camera, she's great. She's obviously a, a very attractive girl. You mentioned how she gets in great shape and she gets her, her breasts augmented and just like she really has a lot of tools that you would need to be in, in wrestling. Yeah. And there there is a little video clip, I think, in there somewhere that I saw on her Facebook of her training at Team Vision Dojo. And like for someone who came into this with very little experience, I... And I don't know wrestling. Right. I thought she looked like she was doing great. You know, I, I don't know. I, yeah. And I saw her working out and she was really at peak physical fitness yeah. and appeared to really be taking this serious. Yeah. Now you got to balance that with, was it realistic? And again, I was conflicted here hearing her talk about this. Was it really realistic that, you know, her and Teddy were always talking about this in a year. Was she going to become a famous wrestler and MMA star and be able to buy her parents a brand new house? It's not realistic. No, it's not. But she's in ten years, maybe, may, maybe. But but she was putting the work in and working really hard. So who am I to necessarily judge any of this? But it felt off to me. It felt off. It felt like maybe she was, she had stars in her eyes and was maybe being told a grandiose dream that probably was just a dream. Right. And once again, she even says in there, and Teddy mentions it too, that the Hart family, the name is is so respected in, in in alberta that just the fact she was connected with the hearts might have put those stars in her eyes yeah teddy's teddy's name the heart name goes a long way in like indie wrestling promotions it sure. goes a long way and that that added to it for sure but i know teddy was always talking about you know just these grandiose dreams and none of it seemed particularly realistic to me i always thought it was kind of weird that she left three kids behind and, yeah, and I never really got a solid answer on this, but I, I know that she wanted to chase these dreams and she thought if she didn't do it now, she never would. But it was a weird situation. And then, you know, she, we hear, and I think he did it with, with Machiko too, takes their passports away and the documents away so she can't even go back to, to Edmonton to visit. Like there's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of really heavy things going on. Yeah, a, num a number of the women that we talked to did bring that up. They did s mention that, you know, yeah. passports were taken and stuff. So, y yeah. Because like you mentioned, you know, I have three kids. They're, they're all, you know, young adults now, but you have a two-year-old. And just to leave three little kids behind to go to, to, to Orlando, and not just for a couple weeks, like it's for a year, you know. And, and she mentions that the kids are staying with her, with her folks, with her grandparents. And there's another really... I don't know, creepy scene where Teddy just basically cuts her off and tells you that she's had enough of that one. Yeah, that scene was the last time I ever spoke or saw Samantha Fiddler really? was in that room. And, you know, look into the footage. It, it's a weird interview. It's, it's odd. But that was basically after that interview, I was like, okay, so they're going to go take off and drive across the United States and she's going to go to wrestling school and they're going to do this. And I was just kind of I think I'm just I'm just done filming this. I don't know where this is going or what this is. I don't I don't see any justice yeah. involved in any of this. I don't know what it is. I, at that that point, like right, basically right after that, I slammed the drive in a drawer and it was over. That was it. And I, I went on to other much sure. less controversial sure, sure, things. Sure, 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 sure. Before we start talking a bit more about, about about Sam's disappearance, let's talk a bit about Teddy's history. Um, there's a really heartwarming slash kind of sad scene where. Uh, Teddy's at home with his parents and, you know, BJ Annis is like, you know, I'm Teddy's dad. Do I have to admit that they're very nice people? Yeah. And, and George is actually so nice. She's one of the nicest members of the Hart family that must've put a different perspective on, on everything for you too. Where like the parents are, or a lot of times when you have a, 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 a kid that has some, I don't know, bad seed tendencies. A lot of times the parenting might have an issue, but it didn't seem that it'd be the case with the, with the hearts. The Annises, shall we say. You know, we, we tried hard to explore that and tell the backstory. I think it was in episode two, maybe? It was episode yeah. one, where we get into the 
the tragedy at a young age that the family faced. And there was, there was a lot going on there with, yeah. with his brother dying from, I think, necrotizing fasciitis. And, and flesh-eating disease. Yeah. And, and died very quickly at 11 or 12 years old. I can't relate to what that would do to a family, but yeah, uh, yeah, being at BJ's house, they, it feels like you're in a movie. They're just so, they were just so nice to me and baking me cookies and and wings. And it was it was a uh, the juxtaposition of Teddy being there was, you know, pretty wild, kind of a wild ride. And and a bunch of Teddy's cats actually got left at his parents' house and and they were bringing them up. One of them was Blunt, and those cats were leading great lives. They were leading their best lives at, at BJ's house. And just the background is, is that so BJ owned BJ's gym in Calgary, which was a famous gym where all the wrestlers went. And this is when, you know, Diana married Davey and uh, Allison married uh, the Anvil. And there was another, uh, I can't remember, was it Ellie. No, Ellie married the Anvil. Allison married Ben Basarab, who was a Stampede wrestler. And Georgia married BJ Annis, who was the uh, owner of the gym. So they were all married to stampede wrestling affiliated guys right um so so that's just a little bit of the background if you're ever wondering what the heart connection is for teddy that's that's who his father and his mother is i'm sitting there watching teddy go on and on about how he needs to clear his name and how faye and michelle are after him and his dad and mom are just sitting there listening and, and his poor mother just got that smile on her face which is like oh gosh just hearing these stories and, and like they they hear them all the time and they say we feel bad that his career didn't go the way it should like do you feel that that they? I don't know even what the question would be there. When you go film this, did you feel sad for the parents? For sure. Uh, you know, as a as a parent, as yeah. a new parent, I got to wonder what you know what who will my son be when he grows up? Yeah. And having not had that experience yet, I I don't necessarily fully understand what that's like. Right. I can't imagine it's been easy on any of them dealing with a lot of Teddy's antics. I, I can't imagine it's easy for them. Do you feel that Teddy still has? a deep seated psychological issue with the fact that his brother passed away so young. I'm not a psychologist. Yeah, no, I'm not either, but I'm just, it's, it's something, you know, that, that, that did occasionally come up that, that he would bring up sometimes, but I, I don't know. This episode is brought to you by progressive where drivers who save by switching, save nearly $750 on average. Plus auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Let's talk about Sam. Um, You mentioned the last time you filmed with her was was when she was talking about kids living with, with grandma. But you also went to Tijuana with them. You went to Mexico. There's a really sweet scene where she gets to see the ocean, and all she ever wanted to do was see the ocean. There's, there's some, some good times there. Like you mentioned, they, they look like a, a cute couple with the big coconuts drinks and on the boardwalk and all that sort of thing. Wow, that footage is like, it's kind of hard to watch yeah. right now, just knowing what eventually happens to this such a bubbly, happy person. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I filmed a lot of shots of them hanging out and she had all these new experiences and like she'd never seen the ocean before. So that footage is like, it's cool when you get to capture something like a real moment like that. It's real. They're not faking anything. Mm-hmm. And yeah, filmed lo- lots of them, lo- lots of them. They, her eyes were wide as saucers. Everything we did was blowing her mind and she was excited and it was it was interesting. When you go talk to her sister, um, kind of get that story as well and kind of find the last few days because her sister seemed like she was very close with Sam. They were they were always communicating and that sort of a thing. Kind of tell us in a nutshell, where does she just kind of drop off the face of the earth? I I think it was a few weeks before she's released from, I think the Polk County jail. Uh, She got put in jail for driving without a license or something, or what was it for? It was for having an outstanding warrant and she didn't go to court for it. And uh, so I th- she was getting a new driver's license, I think, in Polk County. Something like that. Yeah. So, something like that. And anyway, because she was in like a government building, they just her name was flagged, and I guess she was automatically uh, arrested and I think released the next night or right, something. Right, right, right. Um, and sorry, I don't I don't have all the details in front of me. No, uh, no, no. But there's I mean, a lot of details. And then you filmed for ten years, so yeah, people people will be watching anyway. So 
but uh, yeah so so she's sort of i think she tried to call april and and april missed the call and then there's like one last you know facebook message or something and it's just just drops off the face of the earth she's changed her hair she's blonde got her hair it's weird hey yeah that stuff had us uh very curious when we were looking at all this stuff and trying to wonder what what happened here was very odd i think it's interesting because you know you mentioned you're not a psychologist you're also not a detective either and no it's like you, did the police come and talk to you about about this at this point in time nobody has from law enforcement has ever wanted to speak to me you know wow and it seems almost like like april said that the the they're not even really looking for her because she's a canadian citizen in the states but canada's not looking for her either is it kind of like some red tape going on there in my impression when she people first realized she was missing and tried looking into it i don't think there was a ton of movement happening on it mm-hmm. and then the florida department of law enforcement did did come in and take over it and I'm pretty sure they're they're really actively looking, especially now that the documentary's out. I, I would hope so, but you, you, honestly, I know that FDLE has been looking for yeah. the last number of years, and I think it's hard. I don't think there's a lot of evidence there. Yeah. She just kind of goes missing, yeah. and so it's it's hard for them. So I, again, anybody listening to this, if you're yeah. in Florida at the area and you like, man, she looks familiar. If you might have a detail, do not hesitate to let the Florida Department of Law Enforcement know. And kind of going back to what we talked before about, but but your your conundrum your battle with yourself over whether you were an enabler. But I think at the end of the day, the fact that this documentary is out is a very positive thing to try and help find out what happened to Samantha Fiddler. It's not just another name that disappears. Now there's actually a three-part docuseries on NBC where people can watch this and, and see and learn about her. Yeah, that, I think that's absolutely part of the motivation. Um, years later now, looking at NBC doing this project and being a part of it, that's a huge motivation for me. You know, it's such a huge platform. Peacock is huge. It was on USA Network. And just to get the word out, I don't don't know what else you could do, you know, to get the word out more than that. And in the beginning, nobody was talking about Samantha. Right. And that bugged me a lot. Yeah. And it bugged April and it bugged Jamie and everybody was like, why, why does nobody seem to care? Well, now you, you can't avoid it. This name pops up all the time online. As a filmmaker, I I try my best. Yeah. So you spoke to Teddy after... Sam had disappeared. Uh, I'm assuming it's probably the last time you spoke to him on camera. And and once again, the arrogance that he shows, uh, the quote, I don't give a f- about Sam Fiddler because she did this to herself. I mean, that's some pretty no remorse <laughs> type statements to be making here from this guy. You know, you know, in this situation, I feel like showing that stuff, like the audience knows as much as I do. Yeah. You know, uh, there were times when Teddy said nice things about her. Yeah. And there were times when he said, really, as you see in the film, yeah. really off things about her. I, I don't know. I don't know why somebody in his position wouldn't just try to help. Yeah. I don't understand. So that always made me, you know, just kind of questioning the whole thing. It was a weird. He took a weird position on he the did. whole thing. And filmed it. <laughs> no, and he knows he's on camera. That's the thing that just blew my mind. Like I said, the arrogance shown there and the lack of empathy, maybe, is the word. Uh, I, again, uh, let the audience decide. I, I, you know, it's there. It's on film, and you can see for yourself and judge. Yeah, be your own psychologist on what's going well, on. Well, I mean, and, and the thing about it too that that's so crazy is he shows remorse at other points in time. Like he says, "Well, say hi to Faye and Michelle for me, and tell them I still love them. I know they can't talk to me, and you know, a little bit nostalgic at that point." Y- yeah, uh, one point in time, he said, "I want to get all the girls together and let's all go hang out at Disneyland together." And I'm just like. Dude, what are you saying? Like this yeah. is insanity that you're saying to me. That's that's a what? And, and and so it would flip around. It would be from mean comments to nice comments. So uh, again, it comes back to that kayfabe that where's does reality begin yeah, yeah, and end yeah, yeah, yeah. here? I never really never really knew. And right. when you and when you see that, it makes you want to keep filming and asking questions because there's like is there truth here? Where, where is it? I want to find it. And and then 10 years later you wind up in this situation. Well, like you said, too, he says, I've never been more connected to a woman before. And then the last interview, it's like we were never a couple. And it's like I barely knew her. And there's so many kind of uh, contradictions in what he's saying. And it's like, dude, it's all on film. You've got it all here. Yeah. All right. So I'm like 10 and 0 when it comes to snagging the last delicious factor meal in my house before the new weekly delivery arrives. 
We all love Factors ready-to-eat meals here in the Jericho household. They're fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted and dietitian approved and best of all, they're ready to eat in just two minutes. Eating better has never been easier or more delicious. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. So before I jumped on the plane to get the dynamite this week to Russell Atlantis Jr., I had grilled steakhouse filet mignon with Parmesan cream, spinach, and broccolini. Two minutes to heat it up, ate it right out of the factory container, and then tossed it in the garbage. Fast, easy, and delicious. No prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. You can fuel up with Factor's restaurant-quality meals, too. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. You can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime, and Factor is less expensive than takeout. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash TIJ50 and use code TIJ50 to get 50% off. That's code TIJ50 at factormeals.com slash TIJ50 to get 50% off. As we start to wind down, a, a few more things about Teddy himself. You mentioned we were talking earlier about we went to Tijuana to watch him wrestle. Yeah. And just kind of how, so, so just a little bit of a background is, you know, Teddy had chances I specifically remember telling him in probably 2014 or 15 when we had a show in Calgary, a WWE show, and then Edmonton, go to Edmonton tomorrow. I will get you booked on the show. You better be there. Like, And he's like, I'll be there. And I think he showed up, but I think he showed up late. Like, It was one of those things was like, go. I will get you on the show. You better be there. And he didn't. And it was just like any time you tried to help, because deep down inside there is a good guy in there, he would do something like this. And Conan was another guy that really wanted to help Teddy a lot as well. And I know at one point he was like, you know, I really need to reel Teddy in. There's no entourage allowed. He needs to be on time because Teddy likes the entourage. Teddy likes to dress in the silk pajamas. You know what I mean? Like all that sort of stuff. And Conan, I think, was maybe one of Teddy's last real chances to be in the big leagues where you smiled when I said no entourage. I don't know if you know that story or if that's you've heard. That. I, you know, I, I got an anecdote for you. About the Tijuana show. They're filming it, yeah. Well, okay, and I, I, I don't know, was it, was it, did it make the final cut? I don't know. But if it's not, here's a little tidbit that didn't make the show. So when I was, I flew down to San Diego, you know, to meet Teddy and Samantha in their car. And then I was going to drive with them to Tijuana and they were going to do this big show, right. you know? And as far as I knew, we were talking to Conan's buddy who was organizing this. And the rule was, Teddy Arhat must be on time no cats and no entourage right and teddy showed up late missed the press conference in a car full of cats with an entourage and obviously i'm there filming the behind the scenes and it things things got pretty messy and i was i'd never been to tijuana before and i'm running around filming this and there was you know a lot of people were angry maybe at times i felt a little scared yeah, yeah, yeah. it was just a wild experience it's like what you just said right he was given three rules and he immediately broke all three. all three. And it's like, whoa. And and poor Samantha's there and just rolling with the punches and just like, I'm here to support. I'm here to do whatever. And she's just, just a very lovable person trying to make the best of a weird situation. And maybe could have done just as much on her own without Teddy, you know? And that's that's kind of thing. Where do you break away from that? But it's so funny that you mentioned that because now, like, as we're talking, these stories are coming back. And Conan was, was pissed because, you know, once again, there, and, and even the story I just told you about me telling him to go to Edmonton, I remember this. I was like, dude, like, there's nobody can help you now. You have to do this yourself, you know? And, and like you mentioned, like, three rules and instantly broke all three. That's just being an asshole, you know? And that's just, yeah, you don't have to answer that, but that, that really is, you know? And it's just like you mentioned, like, going to a, a Jaguar. Like, how is he doing this? Going to a Jaguar dealership and buying a brand new Jaguar. And then driving across the country with this all junk and cats and like they they destroyed that thing. It, it was a weird experience. And the car thing that was was not just the Jaguar. He always at his mansion. He always had new, brand new, extremely expensive vehicles. Where you know you're often like, I don't understand. I I don't understand. And when you sort of ask where do these come from, you you never really. I never really got sensible answers. I, I didn't really know. And yeah. but I'm just like this is interesting. So I'll keep filming it. It's like the guy that uh, the guy is in Edmonton with the big long beard that was giving him lots of money, Bill or something. Bill, yeah, that's that was another. Just came out of left field. I'd never heard of him before. I had no idea. And you're you're at the remand center, the jail. Teddy gets and this guy shows up, and you're like, wait, what? Yeah. I don't. And as you see in the show, it 
it's just another weird experience that I wasn't expecting. Just kind of came out of left field. Well, he also like he's very good at like you know Bill saying, "Wait, well, you know, we're going to put a lot of money into Sam Fiddler, and she's going to become famous in MMA and wrestling, and then you know we'll, we'll get our money back." Like, that, how does that work? She's going to pay you guys the money? Like that doesn't work that way. It's not like a you know like a a Don King boxing promoter. Like it's like, but that's Teddy's his rap, his game. I don't know. You, you yeah. be, look at the footage. You be the judge. I mean, they're all saying these things, and this is the universe according to their rules. I and yeah. I just pointed the camera at it. I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for uh, the hamburger today. Sort of a vibe, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So, so that's how, being generous. So, how is it for you now that the the documentary is out? You mentioned obviously this is the biggest thing you've ever done. Mm-hmm. NBC is a huge platform. Peacock. I mean, WWE is involved. I mean, I see Kevin Dunn as an executive producer on this. And it's also surprising to me that WWE even is involved. You know, I guess they decided they wanted to have something to do with it, but it just seems very strange because it's a very not WWE style story. I, I wasn't involved in any of those yeah, conversations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I have no insight into any yeah. of that. How is it for you though to have it out? Is it something that that you, has it raised your your uh, level of, of visibility? I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> um. You know, there there has been like on social media and stuff. There has been a tremendous response. It, there's been a lot of buzz and. Again, seeing so many people talk about Samantha Fiddler, I'm just like, this was the point. You yeah. know, I just wanted to get that conversation started and it, I'm seeing it happen. So that feels gratifying. And I've had, I, I just, I usually make stuff that's just not controversial. I yeah. don't. I usually film rural veterinarians and, <laughs> and these sorts of things, right? And so it's been weird. I mean, at one point in time, some people were talking about like, did I murder Samantha for the documentary? And it, you know, and I, I'm new to this. You're, you're probably so used to the the crazy world. The thickest of, of skins. Yeah. Thickest skin. And so I, I'm new to this. So it's right. been like, what a, what an eye opening ride. Uh, it's very exciting. And again, if just the case could move forward a bit. It would just be so good for everybody involved in this. Right. And I just, I hope that it's not too cold. I hope there's still some evidence lying somewhere that somebody remembers and we find out what happens to her. Cause that was 2016, right? That she disappeared, I believe. Yeah, it's been a few years. Have you heard anything from Teddy since the documentary came out, or, or when he found out that it was being made? Yeah, there there's been a very minor amount of you know messaging, um, nothing tangible. Yeah, just the experience of doing something like this uh, has been a little overwhelming. I never thought I'd wind up as like a point of view in this. Yeah, I never thought that it would garner so much social media attention. I never thought I'd be sitting here talking to you in a podcast yeah, like this. Right, right, right. This all feels still kind of surreal. It just came out a few weeks ago, yeah. two weeks ago. So I, I, I don't know if the case moves forward. I will call this a big success. You're genuinely a, a, a nice guy and a, a good filmmaker that just got caught up in this thing. And once again, even just the world of wrestling, if you don't understand it, like you mentioned, just the thing in, in TJ of seeing Conan and seeing, like, like if you don't know about that's enough to like you mentioned, that's like a freak out moment for you. Now add in a disappearance and all this other crazy stuff. It's probably one of those things where, you know, you didn't expect it was going to go this way. No, man. No, I. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's been a it's been a ride. What's next for you? I've got a number of projects in development right now. And right now, nothing like this. I'm trying to make a documentary about Edmonton's last video store. <laughs> so, I'm, you know, that's, that's, that's what I'm really focused on right now. Um, so, and we'll see, you know, I, I, where, where does this all go? It, it all depends. I, I have no idea. I, it's been just, just an interesting ride and I'm kind of glad that part of it's over. And I just, I want to see somebody come forward that yeah. knows what happened to her. Some justice. I agree. I agree. Do you have a, a favorite scene in the documentary at all or a, a scene that sticks out for you? That's a hard one to answer. There's there's a few different elements to that. I'm lucky and glad that I got to capture such raw moments with Samantha. Yeah. You know, like seeing the ocean stuff. That's that's a very rare thing, and I, it's great to be able to show that and really show who she was in that yeah. sense. That that is very meaningful to me. And I guess it comes down to like I just said before that shot where I'm looking at a young version of myself. Weirdly, before even my, Samantha Fiddler, I somehow literally predict like this whole thing. Mm. And I don't know how that happened, but yeah. when, you know, when something like that happens, it's almost like, yeah, I don't know, it'd be fatalistic, but like, was yeah. it, you know, I just may, maybe subconsciously, yeah. I just knew something was off about everything and it was yeah. going to end poorly and I had to keep filming. So you had some kind of a premonition that was showing you. Yeah. yeah. 
And, and, and being someone that doesn't know much about wrestling, I did get to see a lot of cool things up close. So many people see the show, but they don't see behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. And having those opportunities to see both sides of it was very entertaining and eye-opening. And I think I've got, as a filmmaker, I've got really unique insight and respect for the wrestling community that your average fan, I don't think, right, would. Right, it's, right, it's, right. it's unique and different. And that's something that I think I'll keep with me always. I think the fact that you didn't know anything about wrestling, you got to see things with a different perspective. You know, not from a fanboy perspective, probably from like a inner workings, you know, directorial perspective, if nothing else, you know? Absolutely. And I, you know, and I, I kind of kept saying that. And like when people would be like, how, how are you, know nothing about wrestling in here? And I'm like, I think that's kind of an interesting part of this. I yeah. think I'll be able to look at this in a slightly different way than, than another filmmaker who's a right. fanboy would. Right, right, right. My favorite scene is uh, when you're trying to get him to say, this is the new dungeon. This is where Teddy Hart lives. And he's super stoned and he's got a cat in his lap and he's talking to the cat like you like when I f*** with the filmmakers. And he still never gets it right. <laughs> if you could imagine how oh my gosh. how many hours and days of that, that moment that I... <laughs> over and over again. Well, dude, uh, at the end of the day, you made a, a very riveting documentary series and I think everybody should check it out. And hopefully, like you said, at the very least, we'll get some kind of a news or, or clue on what happened to Samantha Fiddler. At the end of each episode, I think we're at the end of the series, FDLE's number's up there, you know? Yeah. If you think you've got something to help me, not sure, give it a call. Can't okay. hurt. Thanks, dude. Thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Was great, it. man.